Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. What a blessing to gather in our Lord's name. A few announcements as we get started. We do have the AGM coming up next Sunday, so after service, stick around, and we'll have that after tea and coffee. And So that's 22 May. Have the AGM, and uh, also 25 May, there's a worship night. So a Wednesday starting at 7.30, uh, Ian and the team will lead us in worship. That'll be a blessing, and also uh, Trudy has put together a roster, so if you're interested in serving for the next, I guess, term, um, what is it, like half a year, half a year. So we, we basically give people the opportunity to look at different ministries and see if they fit in somewhere, if they would like to serve in a particular capacity, and it gives people a break, it gives people opportunity, so... Um, Pretty much everything here is done by volunteers, so praise the Lord for you who are serving, and uh, we are all blessed by your service, and uh, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace, that you are an awesome God, that you are above all, that you've given us your word that's true, that we have a hope in heaven that does not fade away, reserved for us in your presence, and thank you for sending your Son to give us salvation, to give us a new life give us hope, and to deliver us from the curse of sin. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and you are true, and we can count on you, that you do not change, and how good you are. And so we praise you, Lord, we exalt you, and ask that you be honored and glorified as your word is taught today in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Genesis chapter 5, if you'll turn in your Bibles there. God, in creating mankind, he gave us the capacity to think, to understand, to learn. We always like to hear of new things, and there's this curiosity in us to learn more. Like you, your eyes get never tired of, they never get tired of seeing, your ears never get tired of hearing. Uh, and there is a curiosity of like, did you hear? You're like, what? Sounds interesting. Uh, you've got me. And when you know something, it gives you a sense of enjoyment. Um, by yourself or perhaps even in comparison to others, that you know something someone else doesn't know, and we like that. Um, but God didn't give us his word to satisfy our curiosity. But he gave us his word so we might know him, so we might follow him, so we might do his will, to teach us, to save us. And in the conclusion of the book of John, it says that Jesus did many things that were not recorded, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And you may think, well, what about all the things Jesus didn't do? And you might be curious about what those could possibly be, but know that it's better to place our faith in Christ based upon what God's revealed and what he's shown us than wondering about all those things that have not been recorded. Like we have enough to go on. We have enough to have life, to believe in, to receive, and to apply personally. God hasn't left anything out that we need to know to know him and to follow him to experience the abundant life he has promised us by his grace. So I'm I'm comforted. It's not my role to say things that have never been said before, like to reveal obscure truths to you, but it's proclaiming the truth of God's word that we can really sink our teeth into, that we can live according to, and point people to Jesus, walk towards Jesus, seek Christ. When you sit down to a meal, it's your choice if you eat everything, right? You could say, well, I'm not really that hungry. 
and just push something aside. You could pick bits out that you don't like. In my household growing up, my brother and sister didn't like mushrooms. So if mushrooms were in something, they would be like kind of putting those to the side, covering it with their lettuce or something. Um, like, I really don't want that. Um, or go for seconds, right? You have a choice. You could eat everything and say, I'm still hungry, and that was great, so I want more. And when we receive God's word, when he offers it to us, we can choose to walk in light of it. We can put things aside or choose to reject them because we lack perhaps faith or understanding how that's so. But really, how much about the world don't we understand? Like there's so much I don't understand about people, about even the Bible. There's a lot I don't understand. And there's been a lot of changes on earth since the beginning, but God and his word have not changed. And we can trust and rely upon that. And we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We see that illustrated with the Hebrews, that God provided for them every day in the wilderness for 40 years. And also he sustained Jesus um, before he was tempted by the devil for 40 days without food. So we see that God, his directives, his empowerment, that's what we need. But let's receive what he has for us and not put things aside and say, well, I don't see how that's possible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you lay hold of that, and that lay holds of you, then we have God's word of life on offer, and let's tuck into them. Uh, Genesis 5, verse 1. It says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now the Bible has many genealogies in it. It grounds people in the real world, people that actually lived uh, and can be traced by descent from God who created mankind, male and female, in his own image and blessed them. And he caused all creatures, all living plants and animals and people to reproduce after their own kind. And in the previous chapter, we spoke about Cain and Abel and uh, the descendants of Cain who killed his brother. He departed from the presence of the Lord and it culminates in Lamech who believed he was more mighty than God. Uh, and then at we see that Adam and Eve gave birth to Seth, and then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his likeness. And this is an important detail because Adam was created in God's image without sin. And when he sinned, the curse was now, he was now under the curse and was, would be corrupted by death. And Adam did not have any children before the fall, only after the fall. And we will see sin's corruption was passed down generation to generation because they died. Adam's descendants perished, though they lived for a very long time. Interestingly, the New Testament only has two genealogies, and they both involve Jesus. Mary, his mother, was traced back to Abraham, and his stepdad, Joseph, traced back to God through Adam. Now, it's unthinkable, right, that Adam would live 130 years and then have a son named Seth. 
As we'll see, people before the flood in the scripture lived for a very long time, so the antediluvian period. And this seems that 130 years from the point of creation, because he was never born, right? He was made a man. He was formed fully mature from the dust of the ground. God breathed into him a living soul, and like the universe, like the plants and animals, made with the appearance of age. So he was a man, but he was only one, right? He, he had just, he was only there for a year, but he was a grown man. He was born old in one sense. He could talk and walk. He could disobey. He could obey God. He could have children of his own. And so after 130 years on the earth, it was like a, a young guy in his 20s or 30s by today's standards. By the time of his death at 930 years, after he was created, he had many sons and daughters. And you might rightly wonder, well, how did he live so long? We could ask, well, how are our lives so short? Couldn't you ask the same question? And there's general answers we have to this question, like well, genetics and environmental factors and diet and exercise. And without taking into account God's sovereign plans and power. See, we don't often give God enough credit, do we? We say credit should be given where it's deserved, but isn't God the source and sustainer of all life? Isn't he the one who's caused us to live in the first place and we can live as long as he says we can? Um, and we ought to give God more credit than eating an apple a day or jogging or the fitness regimen that you have. When we've received life by grace, a gift from God, and it's unwise to discount God's ability to affect the length or the shortness relatively of someone's life. So for reasons beyond our understanding and without explanation by God, people before the flood lived a very long time, way longer than they do today. And interestingly, as we look to the millennial reign of Jesus, we will see history repeat itself. For people will live much longer than they do today. It says that in Isaiah 65:20. It says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. If you live to be 100 today, you would consider that a full, long life. But during the millennium period, that will be like a child, someone who lives 100 years, dying as a child. So after 930 years on life, of, of life on earth, a vapor or a breath compared to eternity, Adam died. And this was such a shock because here is a man created in the image of the living God, the world that God made good, stricken by death and breathed his last. And that was... Horrible, shocking, something that God said would happen when his soul departed his body and his body returned to the dust. Genesis 5, verse 6. Seth lived 105 years and begat Enosh. And after he begat Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begat Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mehalalel. 
After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. God blessed mankind. He made them fruitful with a long life to fill the earth and subdue it as he commanded them. All these men lived a very long life. They had many sons and daughters who carried on the lineage of Adam, generation after generation. And they all had one thing in common. They all died, right? They lived for different periods of time, had different names, but they all perished. And reading this chapter, it's kind of like soberly walking through a cemetery, right? You're just seeing people who have passed away. Uh, years ago from church, we did, some of us did some volunteer work at the local cemetery in Castle Hill. And we would uh, pick up rubbish and clean weeds and, you know, just tend the plots. And as you tend those plots, you, you cast your eyes upon the names and the dates that marked people's lives. And, um, and it's humbling to consider that one day you will be like them, that you will go the way of the earth. And on earth there is a time to be born and a time to die. But by God's grace, we're more than a fading memory in Christ because we have a future and a sure hope of glory with him. We won't be defined by how long we live or what we accomplish, but who God is and our relation to him. Turn, to your, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40, verse 3. This speaks of the message that God had given John the Baptist to preach in preparation for the arrival of Jesus. And the message that John had was a call to repentance in light of man's mortality, due to the curse of sin, that there was coming judgment and there was hope found in Christ, the word of God. We know he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We read of it prophesied in Isaiah 40, verse six. It says, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We have Seth, Enosh, Canaan, others that remain unnamed and unknown to us who were like, really, grass clippings cut down and their life ended in death. Like flowers that bloom for a short season, um, God blew upon them. It's like they, they, God gave them life and he took away that life. And death was only part of life on earth because of sin. It was not a part of life until man sinned. And not willing that any should perish, God chose to send his own son, Jesus. Prepared the way by John the Baptist. And Jesus would provide atonement. He would provide uh, the assurance of eternal life to all who trust in him. So we have this hope now that these people did not have. It was not given to them through the gospel. Unlike the grass that withers and fades, he uses the word of God as a contrast. He said that endures forever. The things that it says are true. They will endure. They do not lose their luster. They do not, are not proved false at some point. It stands forever. And as far as I know, no one is buried standing. God's word stands. 
it endures. The house can stand and be habitable in the storm because it was founded on the rock. Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's able to save. So the word that God has spoken, it is powerful forever. And the treasure that we hold in our hands, it will retain its power, its potency, and relevance because he is our life. We have a hope in Christ that these antediluvian people did not have promised to them. And because we are sinful and under the curse of sin and death, God would show us uh, the cure. But I think before that's laid down, we have to realize we cannot free ourselves from the curse of sin. We cannot reverse the aging process. We cannot save our lives by, by the efforts of the flesh. There's this awful, inescapable reality of our mortality that is really laid down here. We're like, yep, they died. Verse 18, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Hmm, that's different. Enoch's born to Jared. He lived 162 years. Enoch was 65 years old when he begot Methuselah. Uh, and he was different than all the other people in that for 300 years, it says he walked with God and he was not for God took him. And this is quite a shift from that pattern of death, right? You have death, death, death. And now he was not. He did not die. He was translated. He was delivered from death. He never saw death. This, if you translate something, it's like words in one language are translated into another. It's the same ideas with different words. So you're conveying the idea, the sense of the words have now been shifted into a different language so that someone who knows that language can understand what you mean. Now Enoch was translated from walking around in a human body that would see corruption under the curse of sin and he was changed into a glorified body where he was in the presence with God, no longer confined to time and to this body on earth. Unlike Jared before him or Methuselah after him, Enoch was not buried in a tomb. God took him body and soul into his presence. Now the Bible doesn't say much about Enoch. I'm gonna to go to a few mentions of him. He's mentioned in Joseph's genealogy and it's pretty cool how it's traced back to God in Luke 3.37. It says the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's so compelling if you were to consider going back in your genealogy, and has anyone ever done that? You've tried to look back to see a couple generations or a handful, like how far can we go? Um, if you were to investigate your lineage, it would go back to Adam and go back to God. People connect with ethnicities and cultures and places from their past. They form a personal identity. Uh, and there can be a sense of pride in being connected to royalty or someone famous or maybe a notorious convict. 
and we can be associated through our history with this culture and belonging, but what does that compare to God, being connected to God? That you, at some point, many, many, many generations ago, came from Adam, who was created by God. Pretty awesome. So Enoch's not following his fathers and going to the grave. He, follow, he walked with God, and God took him. It's like he cast aside the family tradition that ended in death. At 65 years old, he had his son, and that coincided with him walking with God. Life without death. So the power of the curse could be undone. Life could triumph over death. And we don't need to wait to have a son to seek the Lord and walk with him for the duration because we can know him through Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. It gives us some insight into Enoch's testimony. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 5 and 6. We have several verses to look up today. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he, has, he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The writer of Hebrews had said, Abel was accepted by God, and his, his offering was received by God by faith. That's why it was received, and Cain rejected. And Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God because of his faith in God. And I really like we don't have a, a list of Enoch's spiritual disciplines or his pattern of life that he embraced because men would much rather follow a formula to earn eternal life than to daily follow Christ in faith, to have faith in God, to walk with God day by day, to surrender ourselves before him, that our pace our direction of life, the activities would be guided and governed by faith in him because we trust him. Enoch wasn't looking for life. He wasn't looking like, how can I overcome the curse of sin? God's gonna be the means that I can do that. That's not it at all. He was walking with God. He made God his companion. He sought to be with him. Where God went, that's where he went. He, he walked along with him. We're told without faith, it's impossible to please him. Cain, he could have sung praise songs till he was blue. He could have fasted until his body wasted away or offered his best first fruits, but it was unacceptable. It was sin because it was not founded in faith. But Enoch, he trusted God. He walked with God and God took him. There's no formula or checklist to walking with God. It's connected with that intentional action of seeking God, trusting God. It's walking in the light of his word as he's revealed himself to us. It's having fellowship with God and with one another. It's living in agreement with God, choosing him rather than your own way. Enoch was an exception. Not everyone lived like him. He was, a, he was the only one of all those people we've read about who walked with God. He sought the Lord and he walked with him. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 4, 27 through 29. 
think about it, that Enoch didn't have the word that we hold. It wasn't penned until Moses. But he found God. God had found him. And he trusted God. And he walked with God. Deuteronomy 4, 27 through 29. Now these words were spoken through Moses, God through Moses to the children of Israel, about their need to seek him, to seek him by faith, that God exists, that he lives, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. It says, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's one thing to find God when you're seeking him. It's another thing to continue walking with him by faith. I propose that it's exceedingly rare for even Christians to seek God. That may be a shocking statement. But to actually seek God, see a lot of times when we're seeking God, we're seeking something from God. We're wanting a benefit that we figure he will be the means to that end, to get what we want, to provide that help, that healing, that feeling, uh, a means to comfort, deliverance, power, money, wisdom. And we think, hey, God's all powerful. He can give me what I need, so I will seek him. But in seeking him, we are looking for something from him. And you probably live long enough that you know how it feels when that happens to you, where someone's content to use you as a means to their end. But God will not be a means to our end. It's for us to be seeking him in faith, trusting that he is God, to seek God for himself. So when we, because we say, well, when I get what I want, I can go on my merry way. It'll make my life better. But God wants us to walk with him. He wants us to trust him, to keep trusting him, to keep walking with him, to keep being led by faith as we walk through this life together. How gracious and patient God is to, gracious and patience he is to endure us. And it's like in Enoch, God found a companion who wanted to be with him, who would walk with him. Wherever God went, that's where he wanted to be. And walking, that's an activity where conversation is possible, right? You can have a chat when you're walking. If you're running and you're exhausted and it's hard to, to talk. When I used to run cross country, we had the conversational pace, you know? You have that. If you can still talk while you're running, you're not running hard enough. But the conversational pace was like, this is a warm-up. This is before the race. Because during the race, you're not having deep heart-to-heart -heart chats with people, It's like God removed Enoch from the confines of time and fatigue and so he could commune with him continually, be where he was all the time. Like he wanted him. He received him. He was pleased to receive one created in his own image who walked with him in faith. Now there's only one other reference to Enoch in the Bible. We see it in Jude 14 and 15. Concerning coming judgment, it's the only divinely inspired truth we see in the Bible attributed to him. And this does not confer any sort of uh, biblical authority on the speculative book of Enoch. You can find that book in a store that sells Bibles, but it's not the Bible, and it has the equal spiritual weight of the Book of Mormon. 
it is not the scripture and should not be viewed in that way. Uh, but uh, Jude 1.14, it says, um, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch was someone who walked with God and he knew what godly was. And he was speaking against all this ungodly deeds, ungodly actions, ungodly words, things that were not like God. He was so connected with God and knowing uh, the righteousness and holiness of God. And he was let in on what God was saying. We know that the Holy Spirit will teach us of things to come. And so with his fellowship with God, he had this insight. Now, this judgment he speaks of, it speaks beyond the global flood. It talks about Jesus coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on the ungodly. And since God is going to judge the ungodly, we ought to walk in a godly manner, right? In seven generations of mankind on earth, judgment for sin was already reaching up to heaven. There were already warnings being uttered by Enoch and others about judgment will come for sin. I think Micah 6, 8 is so fitting. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Enoch walked with God and was not. And those who walk with Jesus Christ by faith will continue doing so for eternity. So what a hope we have in him. Genesis 5.25 Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. The son of Enoch, Methuselah, lived to be 969 years. Yes, that is the oldest recorded living person. It's rare for a life to span a decade. If, tw if 2022 was Methuselah's last life on earth, it meant he would have been born in 1053. Think of how life has changed since 1053. Like, I'm like, I have no idea what life was really like in that year. Enoch walked with God and was not. His son Methuselah didn't. It doesn't say that he did. He could have, but it's only recorded that Enoch walked with God and was not. Parents and children, we're responsible alike before God to choose day by day if we will trust him, if we will walk with him. Interestingly, the lineage of Cain, it goes to Lamech. It finished with this guy named Lamech who said, you know, I've killed a man who wounded me and if Cain be avenged sevenfold, well, Lamech, 77-fold. He's like, I am greater than God. I can dish out harsher judgment than God can. He was just making God little, <laughs> saying he was great. Now we reach the end of, well, Seth, it ends here at Lamech, and La this Lamech has a very different view. He is concerned about the curse. He's looking for comfort, and 
he named his son Noah. That means rest. People are blessed to have a family history who know God. It's nice when you can look back and say, you know, there's this tradition, this heritage, this godly heritage, whether it's in a country or in a family of seeking God. But if you go far back enough, you do too. Because Cain's lineage, it ended in the flood. Seth's line would continue all the way to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome. And having been born again by faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into his own family as his own. We are now his. So it really doesn't matter so much where you've come from, but where you're going and who you're with, which is Christ. So Noah, it means rest. Lamech, he sought comfort from the toil of their hands and the curse of sin. They were scratching out a living from the earth that was cursed. Battling thorns and weeds is one of those jobs that is never done. I like jobs that are like you. You finish it and you're like, okay, I won't have to deal with that for 10 years, 20 years, or this is the last time I am ever doing that. But there's so many maintenance things that are not like that, right? Like cleaning carpets or having your car serviced or um, having your back adjusted or uh, could be anything, right? The world is full of toil. Read Ecclesiastes. Um, so there's something there, uh, Solomon, he gives an, an object lesson that a, a little neglect can lead to a lot of work. In Proverbs 24, verse 30 through 34, it says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. In the vineyard, there's no grapes. It's just nettles. It's thorn bushes. A little rest leads to a little more rest, which can lead to poverty uh, sneaking up on you and your need holding you hostage. And what's true physically is also true spiritually. If we neglect to walk with God by faith and obedience, we will find ourselves empty and dry. We will find ourselves beset with sins and cares of this world. And it's by faith in Christ and coming to him that we find more than rest from the toil of our hands. That's what Lamech wanted. He wanted rest from the toil of his hands. But in Christ, we find rest for our souls in labor for him. It's pretty amazing that the peace and rest God gives are found in him. It's not dependent on circumstances or how we feel or what's going on in the world. In the storm, we can rest comfortably in our Savior on the rock of Christ. The wolves can be howling and circling, and we can trust the good shepherd will protect us, that he'll provide for our needs. That in labor, he sustains us. Finishing the chapter in verse 30. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I don't think Lamech could have imagined the blessing that came from his son, Noah. 
Genesis 6, 9, it describes Noah as a just man, perfect in his generations, who walked with God. The other person in the Bible that walked with God, that was Noah. In 2 Peter 2, 5, Noah, he's described as a preacher of righteousness. In Noah's day, God would judge the world, and by his obedience, mankind would be preserved. Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. Noah walked with God and was kept safe in the midst of the judgment. He was protected, and he was tasked to save those alive in the ark that he built. For Enoch, Noah, all who walk with God through faith in Christ, we have that rest, we have abundant life. Sometimes God delivers us before the difficulty. Sometimes he, he sustains us within that difficulty. The writer of Hebrews says this, there remains a rest for the children of God. Even when they entered their rest, the children of Israel, they went into the promised land. What did they find there? Strongholds, enemies that they had to root out. Walls that needed uh, breaking down. Fields that needed tending. And so in Christ, there is a rest. And so you've come to Christ for salvation. Well, there remains a rest for you. A rest that's found by walking with Christ. Life makes us weary when we rely on ourselves, when we look to other people, when we're trying to achieve by the flesh what can only be done by the Holy Spirit. That brings toil. That brings weariness. That brings worries without respite. And I don't know what sort of difficulties or circumstances you're facing now. Yet you can have an assurance of rest when you're walking with Christ by faith. Now there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 6.16 where Paul had warned believers not to be yoked unequally. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 6.16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So Christians, those who trust in Christ, been born again by faith, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. God walks in us and he walks among us. The King James, it puts it, I will dwell in them and walk in them. It's like, wow, God walks in me. But we're called to walk with him. And that's something that we choose to do. We submit to doing. Where it's like, I was going this way, but he's going that way. Okay, I will adjust course. Not trying to get him to come my way. I'm going to go his way. Now turn in your Bibles to the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And may this be um, just wisdom and comfort for your souls. Think about Enoch living in a, a generation that was under judgment, yet he walked with God. And he was taken because he had that testimony that he trusted in God, he had faith in God, and he pleased him. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
We would love it if God would just remove the yoke from our shoulders, take our burdens away, and just turn us out into pasture where we can just graze out our days, right? In an ideal circumstance. But he tells us instead to submit to his yoke. The yoke that he is carrying, he says, take my yoke upon you. So you would have the, the oxen two by two with the yoke across their shoulders. It's like he's on one side and he's like, come on, take my yoke upon you. You share it with me. I'm sharing it with you. We're going to walk together and we're going to do some work. And that's where there's rest for your soul. In walking with Jesus in obedience to him. Not pulling against the yoke, not trying to go in another way, but walking with him. He is our life. For the, the cattle, yoke means work. You know, you get the lead, the dog's like, walk. Pretty excited to go on a walk. They associate that word even. If you say, do you want to go on a W-A-L-K? Trying to, should we, t-? you don't want to even say the word because the dog's going to get a little fired up. Can't say that word when you use another word. Well, that yoke, that's associated with work, with labor, with pulling. But Jesus said, when it's day, I'm doing my father's work. I'm going to work. Because night's coming when no one can work. And he invites you. He says, come alongside me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and in me you find rest for your souls. So he invites you to walk with him. And you can walk with God today because he is with you, he is in you, and he invites you. And by his grace, he delights in you. Those who walk with Jesus in faith, we know that one day he will receive us into glory. We will be taken to be with him as his children forever. Alive, incorruptible, glorified. We look forward to that day, but let's rejoice in this day Lord has made. We can walk with him and know him and make him known. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our Savior Jesus and for the rest for our souls, not just rest for our hands. Lord, life is full of toil, but thank you that the things that we do, we can do as unto you. Thank you that you receive that as a gift from our hands and you receive the praises and sacrifices of our lips. Thank you for the hope that we have of heaven, for the life that we have that's more than 969 years, but forever, without end, in your presence, without growing old and weary. You wipe the tears from our eyes and draw us close to yourself. Thank you for the promises you've given us and for the hope of heaven and the hope of fellowship with God right now. And I pray, Lord, you would show us how, how much we need you, how little we actually seek you, and that you would open our eyes to your goodness and your promises and your purposes, even in the season of trial, even in the toil. Lord, I pray that we would see you there. We'd be looking for you. We'd be walking with you. You would help us and be our hope. Uh, and we would not look to other things. Lord, may the disappointments in life or people or situations just move us and prompt us to rejoice in your goodness, in your immutability, in your greatness, in your majesty. Lord, we love you and thank you again for your word and how it, is, it illuminates our path, how your spirit guides us into all truth and how we can take that yoke of Jesus upon us and learn of you.
what comfort, what peace. Thanks again, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.